Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, legendary poddlers. This is Jack, your GM for season two of Even Footing Games Presents Avatar Legends. And now we're on season one or episode one, Table Talk. If you don't count the session zero character creation section, I'm here not so much with the rest of the party, but I'm here with Jimmy. You may remember Jimmy from season one, where he played everyone's favorite half cat. Half cat. <laughs> character uh-huh tabaxi ignatius <laughs> slash augustus slash all the names Julius. hey jimmy what's going on like, yeah <laughs> hey jack uh <laughs> man i'm good man the reason jack and i are doing this is we have some experience with this system we played seven or eight sessions together where we played avatar legends out of setting as teenage mutant ninja turtles because so, I'm crazy. I get Jack handed a system. Jack is crazy. I, 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 crazy I, I, like I, that. I immediately get handed a system, and I'm like, let me just completely take this out of whatever setting it's supposed to be put into. Yeah, yeah. so I played Leonardo, and we had some other people playing other turtles, and we had some interesting interactions that really showed us a lot about this system. Yeah, right off the bat, let's just get it out there that we're going to be going a lot over today about, the, obviously, Avatar legends and uh, different narrative games narrative-based tabletop rpg games like powered by the apocalypse games which is the backbone of avatar legends um and a lot of other games as well as some other more narrative-based tabletop rpgs out there what we mean by narrative games is that the role typically it's mostly based around the role results they're more about coming up with fun narrative results rather than just sometimes a simple like oh did your character do it or not they instead say, no, 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 something bad happens. You may maybe have your character fail, sure. Or maybe they succeed and succeed too well. Stuff like that. And that causes a complication. So we're going to be going a lot over about our thoughts on that, our thoughts on how it works with Avatar. And so that way you guys have a decent idea about what you can think about when going through with choosing Avatar Legends as a game system or other narrative games as well. Yeah, what they we're going to go over a few things like why you might decide to play a narrative system over top of a strategy or combat action-based system. So for me, personally, I like a lot of narration in any of my games. It doesn't matter if I'm playing Dungeons & Dragons or if I'm playing Star Wars D6. I like a lot of narration, but I also like a lot of really deep and intense strategy as well which I feel like a lot of narrative games don't offer so much of that. Like Jack said, it's more based role-based on your result. So what yeah. did you call it? Result-based? Yeah, result-based. Yeah, that's what, that's, what, that's what I say. One thing in particular with that is, yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, and believe me, I'm much... And I think I've let this be known on the first season with the uh, Table Talks. Yeah, I love narrative systems i definitely have respect for more strategy ones and believe me in narrative you can even do crazy strategies because the game is pretty much run on the rule of cool so the strategies aren't so much like hey let me go down the list of moves i have of you know abilities and stuff it's more what can i narratively do in this situation could i use the environment can i maybe trip them up in some way stuff like that yeah whereas it's a little um, bit different yeah Whereas in an action-based or a, a strategic-based game, you have buttons that you smash for that. Like, well, I have, I have an action based on this challenge in front of me. So it's about 
a die roll, a versus die roll a lot of times. So, you know, narrative kind of gets rid of that in a way, like Jack said, make it a lot more interesting of a story from the story perspective, from the narrative. Well, the fun thing with Avatar Legends and Power of the Body Apocalypse, they have a lot of tools to help a GM do all this and to manage, you know, what I was just describing with the tactics. Meaning, again, how you're saying that, you know, some games offer buttons to press, essentially, that you can do, or an action economy, or something like that. These are literally more, can my character do this? Does it make no narrative sense? Let's roll to see how it works out. And Power by the Apocalypse games, and again, Avatar Legends, tend to give, again, specific tools for the GMs. First and foremost, as a GM, you're given an agenda. An agenda is just a basic breakdown of some core things that you have to keep in mind when you're running the game. Avatar Legends has three. The three are ensure the world feels real, make the PC stories meaningful and important, and a core one that's almost in every single Powered by the Apocalypse game is play to find out what happens. So going over each one, ensuring the world feels real. That's just good storytelling. Yeah, definitely. If you're not, if you're not making your world come alive, there are a lot of little small things that you can do, methods that you can you know, there's a lot of great GMs out there that do videos about that and do uh, oh, definitely. podcast advice and stuff. You know, if, if you feel like you're not getting that from your GM or you're not able to provide that for your players, if the world just seems fantastic and crazy and it's always shifting and changing, you can do very little note taking and very little things to make it come alive for your players and really make the game a lot more immersive. And narr- narrative games really lean that direction. Yeah. One of my favorite things about that is the fact that narrative systems tend to also, like, the NPCs, whether foe or not foe, tend to not have stat blocks. They're not just a bunch of numbers, because that's one thing on making the world feel real. And why murder hobos tend to be a thing sometimes, because murder hobos just see, hey, there's a bandit. I know bandits have that many hit hit points. I know they can do this much damage. They're just a bunch of numbers. But when you start getting into, like, maybe reasoning with the, with the bandits, maybe the bandits have motivation. Maybe they're doing it for a reason. That's when the world starts to feel more real, when its actions have consequences and characters, NPCs, or monsters or alike have thoughts and feelings. Now, the second part is make the PC stories meaningful and important. One thing with Avatar Legends, and if you listen to the character creation and campaign creation episodes, you saw a lot of that in action, where the fact that There are a lot of questions about the characters' backstories and how their relationship ties into each other. And I really stress, because the the book stresses, that the players have to get along, and they have to be friends, and they have to be friendly with each other. If if you uh, if you press buttons to make things happen, you can you can upset yourself, you can upset other people very easily in this game because this game deals a lot with emotions, a lot with emotions, a lot, and it can be difficult for players to navigate that. For some players, it's very easy, and for some other players, it's very difficult, and you want to be sensitive about that, and you want to make sure that if you do have an intense session where things come up and you, your character gets angry and expresses themselves because the game rewards you for expressing your anger, if you do so, make sure that after you're done, you laugh and talk about the scene a little bit to, to relieve some of that, to make yeah. sure that this was in-game drama, not me being angry at you as a player. Because it can get very intense. So it's just kind of a caveat to think about. And as a GM, you really got to go out of your way to make sure that you manage that. Because as a GM, it's also very easy to get caught up in that stuff too. So that's more along the lines of, you know, 
Well, we'll get a little bit more into that. Now, the one thing with the agenda is also the last one is play to find out, which again, Powered by Apocalypse staple, is typically in these games, as a GM, this isn't like, you don't, this isn't a very railroady system. It's not a system that really kind of says, hey, GM, you come up with a story, your players play through it. No. Powered by the Apocalypse and a lot of narrative games, and Avatar Legends, obviously, are more about eh, GM having like loose loose ideas about what happens or what's going to happen concepts, or maybe some outcomes overarching yeah, stories concepts. maybe surrounding events yeah essentially because one of the main principles is again you're rolling for narrative results so when there's certainty and uncertainty you do two different things when it's certainty when you're certain that a player can do something they're describing their actions and they can do it you just let it, you know there's no rolling needed it happens if there's uncertainty, whether through the player skill or the character skill, through maybe the environment, maybe they're in a tense situation, or something along that line, or maybe it's just something like a hard obstacle, that's uncertainty. That's when you roll. And then the dice tells you, basically, if it was a good result, a mixed result or mixed positive result, meaning, you know, succeed with complications. Or a narratively bad result, which again could be, hey, maybe you did too good. Maybe you didn't do well enough. Maybe something got in the way. The cool thing about that is that you can you can fail forward with that type of thing because the result says there's something narrative bad that happens. It doesn't say that you fail to accomplish what you were setting out to do. Just something narrative bad happens. So we can keep moving forward. And you hear res like results of that. And when we played Babies and Broadswords, when we were playing Babies and Broadswords, is a little bit more narrative. And you could see results of that when we'd fail a roll and get a four on a check, but still be able to open a door or move forward in the plot because there's no reason not to, but something bad happened in the meantime. A bit of advice from someone who's jammed a lot Powered by the Apocalypse stuff. I find what works really well for me and what my players tend to enjoy is choices. I like to do a lot of narratively bad results as a choice. Usually somewhere, something along the lines of, okay, you can fail what you did, or you can complete it with some complication. I like to give them a choice of whether or not they want to see what kind of narrative do they want to see. Do they want to think that their character could have failed this thing? Or if it was something else that caused the problem. Giving that characters that freedom is really good for the players. Because, you know, I never know. You worked out the narrative that your one character is the best lockpick in the land. Well, then why did you just fail <laughs> on something that seemed like... Yeah, and I can say this, that I've been playing RPGs, and I've probably played about 20 different RPGs before I ever came to become a game designer, or even met Jack, or played Power by the Apocalypse. And I've never had a GM say, tell me what you think happens when you roll badly. And I really liked that as a player for my first time. This was my first time in a Powered by the Apocalypse game where I played more than just this opening scene or more than just one interaction. So I got to experience oh, yeah. what it was like to move through those these motions and move the game forward in such a way that I was helping telling to tell the story as I'm making the decisions. And that was, that was an awesome feeling to have a part, especially because I'm a game master more than I'm a player. It gave me that ability to kind of flex in that way, that creative way. And seeing each player, the way that they interact 
with those decisions as well was also really cool because again it was the first time for me and now that i've played several others other games with people who have played power by the apocalypse games i see that it's just kind of a norm that happens a lot and it's really cool really cool and this goes into a good topic after the agendas of why play this why play a narrative based game more than your standard like you know i shouldn't say strategy based for example yeah, strategy-based. And keep in mind, we are talking about, like, Dungeons & Dragons and D20, where, granted, you can tell great narratives. You can tell amazing narratives. I've I've been part of several campaigns, and I've run several campaigns with, the res- you know, the story themselves were epic and huge. But it wasn't so much a lot of times because of the mechanics, a lot of times. Like, the mechanics didn't really drive the narrative. Right. So that goes into a lot of, but Jimmy just said, goes into a lot of that topic, where these games... The mechanics you don't you don't really have to be like oh are you a GM that go that believes in the rule of cool? Well, just by playing Power of the Apocalypse, your answer is yes. Yeah. If you don't like the rule of cool, then you shouldn't be playing Power by the Apocalypse. And here's the thing: the rule of cool. I don't know how much it should be applied to a truly strategic game. It takes you further away from what that strategic game is meant to do by keeping things on this very even playing field. When you introduce the rule of cool from a narrative game into a highly sophisticated, very deep strategy game, you're saying that the strategy doesn't matter that much. So it it really changes the way that a game works by introducing this crossover system. Unless it's baked into the system, I'm not a fan of rule of cool. If I I feel like that there's a rule for it in an intense strategy game, rule of cool doesn't belong. But in a narrative game, that's what rule of cool means. (laughs) <laughs> We're just going to do what it feels right. Yeah. The, and the rules are written for that and they allow for it. In fact, they push you toward it. And for me, I've always been really big on this myself, even before I discovered Power by the Apocalypse. I remember one time I jumped in my friend's, you know, he was doing a Final Fantasy like D&D campaign and, you know, he wanted me to jump in a session. I did. And, you know, we're fighting a big giant, you know, chrome like a. Uh, giant maybe like 15 feet and you know i'm playing a bruiser type character and i'm like okay so it's knees right in front of me right he's like yeah and i'm like okay can i do anything like target its knees in any way can i like try to get it to buckle down i got like you know it's really tall so can i do anything to like bring it down he's like no you just roll to attack and to and to me i'm like that okay so in my head i'm just okay i, I guess i'm attacking like I'm never been big on that myself, which is why I lean towards these sort of things where rather than just being like, oh, well, I attack. It's instead, oh, no, I sit there and, you know, I throw a grappling hook, you know, up on some scaffolding and I pull the scaffolding down on top of them, you know, something yeah. like that. You know, what you're talking about is, is something I've talked about on my podcast, which is something I've done in the past is with a game like we'll say we're well, not going to pick on just one game. We can say. Star Wars uh, West End Games, which is a very popular old game, really old game that people still play because it's really good. But in that game, it's highly strategic and your dice roll rolls matter. And it feels as much like you're playing a board game or a uh, strategy game as anything else. And, and that's just kind of how that game plays. And with what you do is to make yeah. the, to make everything make sense, we tell a story about what the dice are doing. So we tell a story to make it all make sense, but there's no really, there's really no rules for that in those type of strategy games. But that's what we tend to do as players to as a group. And that's what makes it really fun because we're kind of interpreting the dice. Whereas with these narrative games, it's quite the opposite. The dice 
the system tells you what these dice, where the narrative opportunities are, where, what type of things, when to introduce these little plot devices or when to introduce these complications, which, which is just a different way of approaching it. I mean, one thing in particular in with Powered by the Apocalypse games, and again, including Avatar, is there tend to be GM moves. Like you'll mention, you'll hear me mention during the actual podcast that the players have narrative moves they do. They have narrative triggers. Now, the GM also has some moves that they do too. And these are just ways of just kickstarting little narrative or conflicts. Some of the GM move lists, for example, is like inflict a fatigue or a condition. So, for example, if I feel, you know, the first episode... Aaron's character was definitely expressing fear. Like, she was role-playing fear. She said she was afraid. So, I did a GM move. I inflicted a condition. Afraid. I also said, but I also checked with the player. I'm like, so it sounds like you're afraid, right? It sounds like you're definitely feeling that fear. And she's like, oh yeah, definitely. And she was, you know, then her character took the fear. Another move is reveal a hidden truth. Another one, shift their balance. Twist loyalties with attempt with tempting offers. Escalate to violence. Offer risky or costly opportunity. Threaten someone. Shift the odds suddenly. Exploit a weakness in their history. Provide wisdom in unlikely places and move or turn a move back on them, which that's my favorite. And so these are just little narrative clues. But also you hear a lot of mechanics in those moves too. You hear a good mix of both mechanics and narrative yeah. to help guide the story and give them new things to encounter yeah where those two things are married in the system they are they're not just you're not just laying a story over top of the dice to make it make sense they are absolutely married the dice and the story and that's the that's the, the big difference because part of the key thing in these games is for example like there are you know especially a lot of gms and you know like D and a couple of D20s, and also any of the, a lot of the strategy ones. Bear in mind, I keep referring back to D&D D20 because that's what I have the most experience with outside of Powered by the Apocalypse. Like you mentioned, Star Wars game, I don't have too much experience with that. So that's why I tend to link back to D&D because my other systems that I've really played with besides Powered by the Apocalypse ones was Palladium and Rifts and stuff like that, which those also... One thing in particular is like how you're talking about with, you know, you roll and you interpret what that dice means in those games. And a lot of times the GM... It's usually the GM, the GM is the, the like, final say. They're the, they're the judge and jury and executioner yeah. of the die roll. So another thing, why, why you may choose why you choose to maybe play a Powered by the Apocalypse game or a narrative game is if you don't like that. You don't like being told what your character does. You want some say. And Powered by the Apocalypse and narrative games, usually it's the players say what they're doing. The GM stops everything for a second and says, that sounds like a roll. Let's see how that works out. So you already said what you're doing. You already said either how you're attacking, how you're dealing with something, how you're overcoming something, and the role happens. And then you find out what kind of result it is, and the GM works with the player about what that result looks like. Yeah, in relation to not only how your character swings their sword or how your character speaks or acts, but also in how the NPC or the monster or the item that you're interacting, how it might react as well, what you're, what you're hoping to gain. One of the things that I think is really neat about the Powered by the Apocalypse system, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but did you take the what's in the box from another game when we did? Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. That was completely me.
I decided to, okay, I do a style that I like to call player first, where the players really shape the narrative almost more than I do. I devised a GM move called What's in the Box, named after the movie Seven. Because keep in mind, well, what's in the box at the end of Seven? No one really knows. It's kind of open to interpretation. Here, all, we all pretty much know what's in the box. But yeah. the key thing is that well, how I was specifically wording it was Master Splinter would always give a lesson in the beginning. Typically, would always give some kind of lesson or moral advice. And just like in like the TV show or something, usually what happened during that episode kind of was linked to it. So what I would do is, let's say they found, they beat up some purple dragon goons and they found a bag that was being used as as like, a, you know, something like an exchange between gangs. I'd say I do what's in the box and I'd say, OK, you retrieve the bag. Now, based on your lesson earlier with, with Master Splinter about being careful, what do you think is in that box? What 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 is you as the player feel would best exemplify that lesson? And then it's up to the players. The players can say guns. Yeah, we also had the, the the gang that we were observing and the situation that we were in to all pull from to help inform this decision. So it was really cool to to have that interaction. It really left a little bit of an impact on me, just how deeply that working with the player can go to not only inform this scene or inform what's in that backpack or what's in the box, but also to help really shape the remainder of the story. You know, when, when I'm world yeah. building, I like to leave pockets of spaces open for my players to tell me what's there. Which is great. I, I think it's, I think it's important for any GM for any game to leave that space for your players. And that's not something that I learned from any player's handbook or GM's guide or anything like that. That's just, you know, for doing it for 35 years, I've figured why not? Why overcreate when I can intentionally leave a blank slate there and I've gotten some of the most wonderful results in my personal settings by doing that. And in this, I see that happening in the system, encouraging that. And then I see that these other GMs, very much like Jack, have their own ways of introducing these type of choices to players. You know, the what's in the box was definitely Jack style. I had thought you'd yeah. take that from another game. But um, no, that was, that was, a, that was pure. Now, bear in mind, that's not an always thing. That's not an always thing. Like, I don't do it every single time. Like, for just example, a move you can do. Leonardo, it's just a move I can do if I feel like it fits, if I feel like the players want to have a little bit of engagement. Now, bear in mind, like, there was another situation involving a bag. Part of Leo's lesson that day was about, you know, leading his party, leading by example and stuff like that. And he rushed in on a goon that was ju just received a bag. And he was rushing in, taking a chance. I, we rolled. Roll, he rolled double ones, a negative result. There's no critical failure, but I wanted it to be specifically fun. Now, rather than it give, felt like a critical failure. Yeah. Oh, it did feel like a critical failure. And I wanted to address that and the fact that Leonardo rushed in without making a plan with his brothers. Especially since that was the lesson that I was trying to learn for the day. Yep. It was about the, my balance between leadership and being a brother. Now, bear in mind, I did not know what was in that bag that that goon had received until he rolled. Now, granted, I could have easily had said, asked, you know, asked him what was in the bag, but I'm like, no, no, no. I feel like I need, as a GM, to make, you know, to hammer this home. So, because he rolled bad, what was in the bag was a gun. And that goon pulled the gun out on Leo just as Leo rushed in. And rather than, I, spoilers, though it's only for us, <laughs> Leo got shot, but it was grazed across the cheek. I 
you know, we were, I, I knew as a GM, I did not want like Leo out of commission and get shot in the shoulder, but shot in the cheek, like a grazed. First off, that's a deep wound. That's going to scar. That's going to be a constant reminder of that failure. It was a really cool moment for, for gameplay to get this sort of critical failure, but rather than simply not succeeding, having the option to introduce this complication, which is what the dice are telling Jack as a GM to do, that I got this scar on my face and, you know, to, to have the, the, um, the license, like the artistic license to take the game and shape the story in a way that the book is telling you to do so that the story can move forward. It, it just, it was yeah. awesome. It was a really cool moment where that critical failure was something that I, I don't want to say haunted, but like stuck around. It was a way I got to play from that moment for like two sessions after that because it made made Leonardo feel in kind of a way, you know? Yeah. And we used the and we had like insecure marked off on your sheet. Leo had a bunch of fatigue. Like we had a lot of narrative results from that. Now bear in mind, earlier that fight too, they threw Kunai at a at the tires of a car. Two of them rolled. Two of them rolled misses. I had the kunais hit the car. They rolled misses, but yet they still hit. So how was it a narratively bad? Well, I did two things. One, one kunai hit the tire, hit it a little too well, and tore apart the real well. So it's not only the car could not move because of the tire being blown, but they really damaged the car. And the second one, I had the kunai hit, but I introduced a new threat. Out of nowhere, out from the shadows, and I didn't plan this. This was something I just was like, you know what, let's have something fun here. Casey Jones, their first introduction of the vigilante Casey Jones, he came out and started jumped on this car that they were trying to stop and started bashing it in. And now there is a new threat. Yeah, and that's simply just one of the ways that you can introduce these sort of narrative complications. And in hindsight, when we tell the story of it, it sounds like this really cool scene. And if you're playing another game like Star Wars or Cthulhu or Dungeons and Dragons, you'd say, oh, wow, that the GM had all these neat things planned. But in this, there was no plan. It, it was all based on yeah. our, not only our brainstorming this, the, the scenario together, but then the dice introducing these complications and interesting things that happen, which kind of, all they're really doing is pushing that narration and saying to the GM and players, hey, work together and come up with more in this way or that way. You can even have situations where if like a player's like, uh, you know, like you could tell if a player doesn't like what they're hearing, not even from like, oh, I lost, but more like a eh, that doesn't sound cool. You can be like, oh, OK, well, what do you think should happen? This is this is the type of result that you should have. Either a narrative miss or miss with succeed with the complication. What do you think should happen? And the mechanics want you to do that because they want you to tell a story together. This is not the GM tells a story and the players play along. This is you're selling a Tory together. So the 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 whole question that we're asking here, when do you want to play a strategy game? You want to play a strategy game when you want it to be a dice game, a versus game. I want to play against the things that have been designed for me to defeat. And there's a lot of odds baked into the dice, into your character sheet that you overcome with strategy. Yeah. And and maybe your players aren't that big into role play. Maybe they aren't that big in the narrative. They just want to beat stuff up or maybe they just want to go along for the journey that the GM has created and that is all, all fine. That's fine. all cool. Those games are much better if you are what if I know you've heard this it's probably a bad word but if you're a min maxer, 
you probably are going to really like strategy games more than a narrative game. But if you're that person who likes to kind of change your mind about your character and make stuff up on the spot about your character and you're thinking about your character all week and you're thinking about the story all the time, but not really so much about the abilities on your sheet or the things that you can do. Like, do I have a fireball or do I have a, an ability to sneak around or do am I good with electronics? But if you're thinking more so like, does my character wake up happy? Does my character wear fuzzy slippers? Does my character like a certain color? You might lean more toward narrative games. Which is also fine. And also I say welcome to my table. <laughs> I like both very much. Oh, I like both. I like both. I'm, I lean more one way. I like both. I, I, uh, I tell my friends, I'm like, okay, if, I'll, if you guys want to play D&D, if y'all want to play like dungeon diving or something like that, or maybe a big epic adventure that, you know, it's just more about overcoming the obstacles. Sure. If I'm in the mood, I'll be more than happy to play. I lean more towards narrative. That's me. I've only played one other narrative game before I ever met, before, before I ever really got uh, interested in anything, really. I played Cult when I was a teenager, and it's a very narrative, super I've good. heard of Cult. I, it, had, it has problems with the original. I think it was 1991 the game came out. And it had some problems, and it was very different than everything else at the time. There weren't a ton of players, but the people who played it loved it yeah. because it was you're playing a horror story, and it very much encouraged the, the GM and the players to add to the horror level, add to the suspense, add to the thrill. And it was really cool. There was a remake of that game that came out under the Powered by the Apocalypse banner, I think six years ago, seven years ago, something like that. Could have been longer. And it's really good. Which is more the one that's I heard about. That's more so the one you've probably heard of, yeah. They, they work exactly the yeah. same. That's the cool thing, except for they use Power by the Apocalypse lingo and, and tools in the, in the remake that very much emulate yep. what the original one was trying to say in an awkward way. Now, to magnify it a little bit, now let's say you've chosen to play narrative games. Why would you play Avatar Legends over another one? Darn good question. By our... Yep, by... What I would say is Avatar Legends, and this is part of where we're getting at earlier, where we played it out of setting and it got kind of awkward, is because Avatar Legends has a few things that you have to keep in mind. It literally plays like you're supposed to be playing the show. By that, I mean you're a band of friends that get along, maybe have some little spats, and you're overcoming obstacles together. You work together. You know, you're not supposed to really have like the lone wolf that kind of sits off to the side and has a dark brooding past. I mean, you could, but that's you're definitely not going to have any focus on that. You're supposed to be together. Yeah, a that's going to depend friends. on your group very much, the entire group. And if you do yeah. decide, I want to play a firebender with all of these waterbenders during the time of the war, and I want to be a lone wolf, and I want to be dark and brooding because I like Zuko and all this stuff, make sure that everybody's on the same page with what that's going to look like before you yeah. do that, because this system will pit you against one another if you're enemies in any way, or if you're angry with each other, if your characters are angry with each other, it will pit you against one now, another. Now, bear in mind, when Zuko joined the gang, yeah, there was a little bit of, like, you know, like, trust but he was their friend still, like almost like right away. They're like, oh, okay, we'll work with you. You know, there was like a little bit of distrust, but it was, but the whole point was for them to work that out. Like that was obviously the point. Which is very intentional. If you're playing a scene like that, 
you have to take great care and intentionally make that happen. Because if you don't, yeah. if you let the dice get, you can get carried away on, on a negative spiral pretty easily. And I think that once you see the character yeah. sheet and read the rules, it's one, and you've heard this, it's pretty easy to see how, but working together, just do that. <laughs> Yeah, bear in mind when, because that's the thing, when me and Jimmy did the Ninja Turtles game, we read the book, but I guess, especially me, and I should have done better as a GM, I didn't really home in on the parts about what the system demanded of narratively. So, you know, Jimmy Jimmy was, or the other players were trying to push the buttons. They're trying to be like, okay, let's call each other's out. Let's call each other's balances out. I have these out, which cool moves. I want to use yeah, them. Yeah. I have these cool moves that I want to, like, cause social conflicts and stuff like that. And it got really toxic in some degree. And that's not because of anyone's fault or anything like that. You know, no one was really to blame. It was literally just... That's what the mechanics kind of wants you to do, but you're supposed to do it responsibly. You're not supposed to do it to make it happen. You're supposed to do it because it narratively makes sense that it happens with the type of story you're telling. And even when you are doing it with intention toward this story, because the game pushed me to hit buttons because I was ready to oh, fix yeah. myself, but it was like, lash out at someone. Like, okay, I have to lash out at someone in order to clear this condition. And yeah. Uh, I'm sorry I'm a good role player. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Again, there was nothing bad about it. There was nothing it was bad amazing. about it. It was, it was just an amazing scene. But it, in the wrong yeah. setting, it could have really hurt someone's feelings. It really yeah. can. Because the fact that we were doing Ninja Turtles and the fact that they were a band of brothers who were already used to each other and kind of knew spats could happen definitely helped ease some things. But if it was like a group of, you know, the characters were a group of strangers and we pushed the conf the social conflicts and the relationship conflicts and if the players weren't used to playing with each other especially yeah that that yeah, could get then ugly. that right there it could have been that ugly. can get ugly it could have been horrible so the one thing i'll say especially about you know oh, oh and also about the techniques the combat techniques which we haven't really gone over in the uh actual play podcast yet the techniques it's kind of hard to narratively take the bending out of it like at first i thought it was going to be easy but when we did Ninja Turtles, for example, it was not easy. Oh, yeah. Like it was like it was kind of made kind of made little to no sense. And I think the idea of range is something that is supposed to be kept in mind, despite the fact that there is no mechanic on range. There's narrative of range. Yeah, that and that is a bit awkward. It's not I don't think it's anything that's impossible to overcome just through yeah. good play, just you know, yep. intentional play. But it, it, there was some awkward moments there for sure. So I'll say the key thing is if you're asking, well, why should I play Avatar Legends? Why should me and my group play it? If you love Avatar, The Last Airbender, and Avatar Korra, if you love those shows and you're sitting there like, okay, well, I constantly go on the forums of this D&D &D group or whatever system, and I'm constantly asking, how can I play Avatar and D&D &D and stuff like that? Don't, don't do that. Play Avatar. This is literally tailor-made tailor -made for it. It is awesome at emulate. Awesome. Like yeah. I, you can see when I've read the book thoroughly, which I've done a much better job since I first started playing. After reading the book thoroughly and breaking it down with not only Jack and the players in that group, but then breaking it down further with another friend and a couple of other people who've played it, I can watch that show now and see the interactions from the book happening. And it's social, social combat, stuff, combat, all of, it. all of it. It's and it's beautiful. It's perfect. Do not try to adapt Dungeons and Dragons. It's weird. It's awkward. It doesn't work the same. And you kind, yeah. you have to kind of force a round peg into a square hole. And you can do that 
with modifications and narratively and the way you work it. Yeah. But it is never going to even come close to what Avatar Legends, the role-playing game, does for that setting. Not even close, ever. Now, if you're trying to, let's say, turn a D&D campaign into something like that, I, there are other systems to recommend that are still narrative-based that can do that. Fate is a very good universal system. Fate's very good. I, pref- I like City of Mist. Um, is like my personal favorite. Um, I've done a little bit of homebrew to make it a universal system. If you'd like to know more about that, you can hit me up on the baby on the uh, Even Footing Games Discord server. <laughs> Absolutely, feel free to jump on there. I'll be. I'll, I love gushing about that. I like City of Mist a lot as well. I think that it requires a certain. I think I don't know how to put it. A certain level of expertise that. Yeah. Oh, definitely. It's not for beginners, I feel. I mean, unless you have people around you who've played it a lot and can help you through it. If you're a whole group of beginners, I think City of Mist would be rough to play. It would be awkward Yeah, for a while. I do not disagree with that. They they often say it's easy to play hard to master, and I have to 100% agree with that. Yeah. Because it's easy to get the basics going, but you kind of get the idea that something's off, and you kind of need to deep dive a little bit to find out what's off. But the game, but it, but you can find out what's off. So, main thing with Avatar Legends if you want an avatar, if you want the avatar experience, if you want to run around any of the eras, if you've read, seen the shows, read the books, read the comics, you know, looking forward to the Netflix live action show. I'm not going to mention a live action movie. There is no live action movie. I don't know what you're talking about. There's no live action movie. There's no live action movie in Bossing Zay. Um, Gosh, I hope not. (laughs) In which case, play Avatar. Play Avatar Legends. It's made for it. Don't worry about trying to adapt whatever system or play avatar legends then try to adapt but the thing is this system was made for this it's a it's a game for a fun group of adventurers and friends going on so now keep in mind it does keep with avatar so there is some very dicey subjects like you know war propaganda all that stuff's in there all that political intrigue's in there in the game the book and how your character reacts to it the book is beautiful the book the itself goes over some amazing amount of lore um, and an intense amount of lore, more than you'll ever yeah. need. And it's really cool to see it all laid out in such a way. It's just beautiful. The artwork, the way it's laid out. Yeah. It's, it's worth every penny of its retail price. I promise you that it, everything you need is in yeah. that one book. There are other books as well, which I did really like the additions from what was the name of the other book we used? The uh, Wang Zitong Library. Very cool book. Added really interesting yeah. stuff. Not a lot, I feel like, but enough. More playbooks, more techniques. Yeah, which you could take it or leave it. You you don't need that stuff, but uh, as an advanced player. Hey, 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 hey. L- little hint, little hint. Chi blocking is in the Wang Tong book. Chi blocking. Yeah. I'll have to look Ai it Li's up. Chi blocking technique is in the Wang Tong book. I'll have to look it up. <laughs> so I agree with Jack. That the reason to play this, yes, if you want to play Avatar, if you want to deep dive into that uh, that setting, the book does that for you. If you want to play a very narrative game that that helps you go through the story beautifully and makes it really easy for you and your players to interact and kind of create your own cartoon in your imagination, it's beautiful for that. Now, if you want to play a more narrative version of another game, like Jack said, we have all kinds of recommendations. I, I, oh, tons. I am, tons. I've been lucky enough. Part of the reason I am not on, and I do miss, I really wanted to play 
but my work schedule is, is really demanding right now. And I'm also working on the next generation of even footing game system, which has been informed by a lot of these games, especially Avatar. This is a little bit of a spoiler. There are some <laughs> things from Avatar that I liked so well that it inspired me for our system. And there are some things that I've, I've pulled from a lot of different places, from board games, from other RPGs, from other types of games as well, and LARPing. And I've played so many different types of games in my years and my time creating games as well. But there was definitely a couple of pieces of the way, the way your combat works and the way that the characters are built that I just loved. And you'll see a little bit of that in our system moving forward. It'll be easy to spot the similarities. But there are huge differences because I do like, as a, as a player myself, I like a certain level of strategy and dice rolling games. I like that. But I also lean, like Jack, heavily toward narrative. So if you want a narrative experience and you're okay with the Avatar setting, I do think this is one of the best narrative games out there, hands down. And I will say that Avatar Legends has one of the most intricate and advanced combat systems I've seen from a narrative game, let alone a Powered by the Apocalypse game. Like, that combat system is designed by martial artists. It is cool. What? Really It cool. is interesting. Really cool. I still think it needs a touch of homebrew just to stop a few exploits, but it's still technically in playtest, sort of. So maybe they'll work out those kinks. But it is good. Well, I think we've taken up a lot of your time today, and unless Jimmy like to add a little more? No, I think we've covered everything I wanted to talk about times two. Same, same. <laughs> and Jimmy, it was great having you on this table talk. I miss you a lot during the podcast. Your presence is definitely, you know, missed. I can't wait there's to a Jimmy hear. Pole. There's, there's Jimmy Shape Pole in our heart. Um, <laughs> I can't wait to hear what happens with this, you know, to, to get yeah, to experience. Episode one yet. Yeah, I get to hear this like with you guys as you're listening. So enjoy the trip with me because I'm going to be listening every Wednesday when this <laughs> podcast comes out. I'm going to be listening that night to hear what these crazy players that I've come to know and love so well are up to. And I hope you guys enjoy it as well as further table talk, different things we'll talk about in the future um obviously talking about some deep dives into the avatar setting itself ways that you can possibly homebrew the system a little bit ways things that you can bring from the system into other systems which hey we kind of already went over a lot of it today and just some fun just some fun other topics um hopefully jimmy might be involved in a lot of those we'll see but thank you for joining us on this journey and thank you for continuing listening i'm jack with even footing games uh, and I'm Jimmy St. James. And we'll check you guys out next time. <laughs>